0: For prayer. Father in heaven, thank you for another day you blessed us with. Thank you for the privilege of meeting together this morning, looking into your word. Thank you for the reminder again to be ready, to be watchful. Or you will come again, and we want to be prepared. Bless Mel as he leads out today. Bless what he has to say, what you have given him, that our hearts can be open. For this in Jesus' name, amen. Be seated. Greetings in Jesus' name and welcome to each one this morning. It's good to have everyone here. Thank you again for your prayers for this morning service. And I thank you too as a congregation for your generous love gift recently. God bless you for sharing in that way. This morning's message, I was sort of blessed with the Sunday School discussion, the lesson that we had there. Um, see a lot of Connections, a lot of tie-ins with that. Out of the darkness comes from a phrase taken from 1 Peter 2. And I'm going to look into that. Uh, 1 Peter chapter 2. Much attention to that just for a few opening comments. We uh, we see here Peter is writing to a group of people whom he calls strangers in chapter 1. And I think uh, he uses that term because these people were scattered through these various countries that he has mentioned here because of the persecution that they faced in their homeland. And he's reminding them of the inheritance that is theirs if they remain faithful to God's call on their life. And we see that they did not have an easy life. You look at chapter 1. Verses six and seven he talks about the the uh, season of heaviness that they're in um, and the manifold temptations and the trial of your faith so we get a we get a pretty good picture of what they may have been going through very likely some severe persecution even uses the word tried with fire and and i I guess um, I had to when you think of the setting, and then, as we'll see in chapter 2, he, he makes some references to, well, for one thing, being uh, called out of darkness into his marvelous light, even in this type of environment or in this type of setting. I guess I found a lot of comfort in that. Let's read First uh, Peter 2, verses 1 to 12, for a setting. Wherefore, Laying aside all malice and all guile and all hypocrisies and enemies and all evil speakings, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word, that ye may grow thereby. If so be ye have tasted that the Lord is gracious, to whom coming is unto a living stone, disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of God and precious. Ye also, as lively stones, are built up a spiritual house and holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Wherefore also it is contained in Scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he that believeth on him should not be confounded. Unto you therefore which believe he is precious, but unto them which be disobedient, the stone which the builders disallowed, the same is made the head of the corner, and a stone of stumbling, and a rock of offense, even to them which stumble at the word, being disobedient, Whereunto they also were appointed. But ye are a chosen generation of royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of Him who hath called you out of darkness into His marvelous light, which in time past were not a people, but now a people of God, which have had obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Dear beloved, I beseech you, as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which were against the soul having a conversation honest among the Gentiles that whereas they speak against you as evildoers they may by your good works which they shall behold glorify God in the day of visitation this is a bit of a unusual method for me I've uh, done a few expository studies um so I, this, is, this is an attempt to do that this morning on this particular portion of Scripture. So when, you, when I do that, obviously I have to limit it to a sizable study. So I am sort of breaking into the middle of this, as I gave a bit of an introduction just earlier about the setting here. Um, but as we think of this, um, you know, these people truly were called out of darkness into his marvelous light, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And you'll see that too. After the resurrection of Jesus. The light truly did shine. God's plan of salvation was then complete. But if a person refused to accept it. He was still living in darkness. And uh, just for the setting. I'm going to go back to the first couple, of, the first five verses here in 1 Peter 1. Uh, as, we, as we think of this. This is, this is Peter's greeting to these people. 1 Peter 1, verse 1, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ to the strangers scattered throughout Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Elect, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through sanctification of the Spirit, unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace be unto you and peace be multiplied. Blessed be the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again into a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and that fate is not away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. And Peter says a lot in those couple of verses, and I'm not, I'm not going to go through and... and uh, Dissect that. But uh, again, just for a bit of a setting, um, as we look at this portion right here in 1 Peter 2, I'd like to look at the first couple of verses as the enduring Word of God. Now, the people of Israel have, for thousands of years, pirates had the Word of God, they had the law of Moses. Um, and Jim just talked about the ark, and what was in the ark, one of them was the the Ten Commandments, and I gather that was the original slabs of rock that God wrote the law on. I don't know how big these rocks were, but I'm sure there was a substantial amount of weight there, physical weight, pounds. And um, so, when you think of God writing it on a piece of rock. It doesn't just evaporate or dissolve or disappear or whatever very rapidly or very easily. So they were familiar with that concept. The enduring word of God. Notice also the first word in chapter 2 is wherefore. Wherefore, that refers to a previous thought which we'll have to go back to the last of the, the, the previous chapter, when you look at the last couple of verses there in, in that. And I'm going to read that, starting in verse 22 to 25. Seeing ye have purified your souls in obeying the truth of the Spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren, see that ye love one another with a pure heart fervently, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever." For all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man is a flower of grass. The grass withereth, and the flower thereof falleth away. But the word of God endureth forever. And this is the word which by the gospel is preached unto you. And I like the comparison that he uses: grass, and the word of God enduring forever. Mowed my lawn yesterday, and of course some clippings blew on the sidewalks. And it wasn't but no time they were like dried up. I just took the leaf blower and blew them off and that was the end of it. Might be able to find traces of them this morning yet, but that's about the life of a blade of grass. It's gone and it's cut off and it soon dries up and composts. That's, so you see the two contrasts of God and the word or, or grass and the word of God, and I like that. I like that uh, that comparison there. So we have here the word of God as enduring, and that is the word that they were uh, using or preaching from, which will endure forever. Peter also makes mention of the there in the first uh, chapter one the the resurrection. That was again something that was well unique to our faith is the resurrection Jesus is the only leader who rose from the dead and certainly we see that all through Acts that was their main theme that was their central theme that was their power that's what they preached that's what got them in trouble that's what had them put in jail that's what had them tied up in stocks and bonds and all that so there's a lot of emphasis on the enduring word of God. Notice also reference to an appetite there in verse 2. Um, you probably heard the phrase, you are what you eat, right? There's some truth to that. You are what you eat. The same in a spiritual sense. You know, if we, we are to put away these things that he has listed here, malice, guile, hypocrisies, envy, evil speakings, and so forth, <coughs> If these attitudes and actions are part of a life, we will lose our appetite for the Word of God. And if a person stops feeding on the Word of God, he will stop enjoying or tasting, as we see there in verse 3, tasting the grace of God. A person who is growing in the knowledge of God will be a peacemaker and a church builder as we get into the next couple of verses. The apostles use building the analogy of a building quite frequently in 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 a church setting um, we 're building together um, you know we have um, the the um, I like the comparison of the tabernacle to the church today, and again that was referenced this morning in in devotions the tabernacle was where God met his people during their journey through the wilderness after the exodus from Egypt. And I just got a few brief descriptions of it and there is chapters and chapters of the detail in this in, in Exodus, and Leviticus, several places like that. But just briefly, let me describe briefly this, this tabernacle. It was a 75-150-foot compound set up in the center of the camp with a fence around it. This fence was nothing more than linen curtains on poles stuck in the ground tied together with ropes. At the front was a 30-foot wide gate made of purple and scarlet yarn. Inside the court was a bronze altar with a bronze basin of some sort. For the purification washing that the priest would use as he washed himself and his hands in preparation for his service and in the back of the court, courtyard was this tabernacle, which was about a fifteen by forty five foot tent of a Kai wood covered with gold there 's a lot of uh, a lot of beauty in that just the similarities that we see there. Inside the tabernacle was the Holy of Holies, which was a 15 by 15 foot room separated by a veil which held the Ark of the Covenant. Jim just talked about that this morning. And uh, it was nothing more than a wooden box overlaid with gold. Inside the box was the Ten Commandments, a jar of manna, and Aaron's staff, this almond wood staff. (coughs) So we see The tabernacle and all of these components have some very rich uh, symbolic meanings. You know, overall, the tabernacle was a foreshadowing of the perfect tabernacle, who is Jesus Christ, Emmanuel, or God with us. Remember, that's where God met his people in the wilderness. It was a type of Jesus whose name, one of his names was Emmanuel, meaning God with us. You know, the Bible constantly points to the Messiah, um, who fulfilled God's plan for the salvation of the world. And if you want to read more about this, start reading in Exodus 25 and all the way through chapter 40. There's uh, a lot of instructions that were given to Moses in building this. And then, of course, setting up. Another interesting thing about it was the way they had... Remember, this is a portable tent. They had they had a whole system set up of who, which tribe was on which side. There was four tribes to a side. They were always set in the, the proper order. Every tribe had their work to do. Imagine this a 75 to 150 foot tent with on poles and curtains, and not only that, but all the 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 furnishings inside, there was a lot of work, but there was a lot of people too, so they had a lot of people to do it. But I see God as really being um, a, a god of order, a god of of uh, law a god yeah a law and order. But as we think of this, come to today 's scripture right here, where it talks about. Jesus being the cornerstone. Now, this was a tent, so it wasn't really a cornerstone in that sense. But I always have to think of my, my first real job after I left the farm was with a mason. And uh, back then, this is before the days of all these laser levels and electronic tools and all that. You just basically had a level and a string line. That's how you laid up a wall. And one of the more skilled guys would start in the corner and he would lay the first block right here. Then he'd lay the next one here. Then the next one would go like this and they would reverse the bond and keep increasing the corner. The other guy would do the other corner. Then they'd stretch a string line in between the two corners and someone like me who was inexperienced would get to lay just the straight blocks in between and that's how that was the that first block was the cornerstone they always started in the corner it's the only way to get a the, 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 the wall in between is of course determined by the corners so it was an interesting picture of of this here, when Jesus Christ being the cornerstone, the very first block that would have been laid was Jesus Christ. And out of that, the others went from that. But this cornerstone, as he says here, was rejected by men. Chosen of God and precious. One makes something precious. You don't care to respond. Why? Or how? Or yeah, why is something precious? Anyone? It's rare. It's rare. Very good. Rare meaning it's valuable. There's not many like it. Maybe irreplaceable. They don't make them anymore like that. You know, on and on. That's what makes something precious. Jesus was an only son. So yeah, that was the only one. There was no backup plan. There was no substitute. But in spite of that, he was rejected by men. We also are like Living stones, building up this spiritual house. Living stones, meaning <clears throat> contrasting that with the sacrifices that they give, that they offered in the in, in the uh, tabernacle. The the, the the temple was, <clears throat> or the sacrifice was slain and was gone. One use, and that was it. <clears throat> the thought that comes out here is we are living sacrifices, continually giving ourselves. Giving ourselves while alive, not once and done, but giving ourselves continually. We are also a holy priesthood. Now, remember what I said earlier, this is the tabernacle is where God met his people. When God had something to give to Moses, some instructions to give to the people, he would have met him in the tabernacle. And then he came to the rest of the people through Moses. We are now individual priests. No longer do we need to go to the high priest to meet God. We, do, we, we go directly to God through Jesus Christ. I, this, is, this is a great blessing that certainly we can, we can claim, we can enjoy. Uh, thinking more about that stone that was rejected by the builders, turn with me back to John 8. Now, this is a long discussion that Jesus had with the Jewish leaders of their day. And this is, a, this is a big, long chapter. I'm not going to read it. Yeah, 59 verses. But he starts off by preaching himself as being the light of the world. And this raised a lot of questions in their mind. Verse 19, they ask him, where is your father? Now, Jesus made reference to his father doing his will. Then they asked, where is your father? And Jesus told them that, ye neither know me nor my father. What a, an insult that may have been to them. Because they knew his family, they knew his father. But Jesus was making reference to his heavenly father. They didn't make that connection. There's quite a few other uh, questions that we have here in um, in verse verse 50 verse 25 yeah they asked him then said they unto him who art thou you know they, they thought they knew who he was and yet they had to ask him who are you they were rejecting this cornerstone Jesus himself, being the light of the world, coming from the Father to them, they were asking him all these looked like obvious questions. You know, we talked about this morning in Sunday School, those that will be taken like, or surprised like a thief in the night, are those who won't even be watching. Aren't interested, have no clue in knowing what's going on. This... Those will be taken by surprise. Just like a thief in the night. Like these men here. They were totally closed. To Jesus as being. The light of the world. They were not seeing him. As the cornerstone. He was a cornerstone that was. Being rejected. And even. Going on in later on in chapter. Verse 52. They accused him of being demon possessed. And so you can see they completely missed it, were not at all open to that, even to the point of of suggesting he's possessed with a demon. This was the stone that was rejected by the builders. The builders were supposedly, yeah, builders. In their day, it was the Jewish leaders in their their, uh, community. And they rejected him, being builders, you might say, completely missed it. But Jesus did say in Matthew 16, 18, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will build my church. Going back to 1 Peter 2, um, we are building together. The next thought, chosen generation, I like that thought there in verses uh, 9 and 10 we have the um, the description of, of the church in these verses parallels the description of Israel in Exodus 19, 5, and 6. Just like Israel in the Old Testament, God's people were chosen and holy before him. He calls them here a chosen generation. You know, God chose Israel purely because... Of his love and his grace. He didn't choose them because they were bigger or a larger group than anyone else. He chose them because he loved them. God chose us because he loved us as well. John 15 in verse 16. Jesus in that discussion with his disciples. Just before he offered himself on the cross. He said ye have not chosen me. But I have chosen you. That you should go forth and bring forth fruit and that your fruit remain. And then, of course, the end of the the verse goes on. Uh, You know, we truly do serve a living God. And I had to think of that time when Elisha was challenging the prophets of Baal. 1 Kings 18. I'm going to turn to that briefly. Um, Elijah, I guess it is, was... Challenging the prophets of Baal to a sacrifice, and he had set a pretty high standard and offered them one altar, and him and his and and Jehovah God take the other, and uh, gave them the choice of everything that they wanted, kind of gave them all the advantages, if you will. And we see. Well, I guess that starts here in verse twenty of First Kings eighteen, where they were uh, they they went through this whole thing, and then they were waiting for this fire to come down from heaven and burn up the sacrifice. And there wasn't much happening. Time went on, hours dragged on, and it not not a lot happened. And um, so then, even even at noon there was still nothing happened. And uh, verse 26, it says, they leaped upon the elder that was made. And uh, Elijah suggested maybe they need to cry louder. And uh, maybe he's sleeping or maybe he's out taking a walk. Maybe he's on a journey. And on and on. and it, And it says that they, verse 28, they cried aloud, cut themselves with knives till the blood gushed out from them. And... You know when you when you compare God to the Old Testament with a lot of the heathen, the pagan gods. God truly is a loving God. God doesn't ask His people to treat themselves like that. I we don't do that to earn God's favor. Cut ourselves, mutilate ourselves. God doesn't ask that of us. God is a loving God, but the pagan gods did. That was what. That was normal. That was typical. They would inflict this pain and discomfort on themselves to earn or to win their God's favor. We truly do serve a loving God. And of course, I'm not going to get to spend a lot of time there, but as we see at the end of the chapter that, that God did show himself. He answered with fire from heaven, burned up the sacrifice, even the water that was used to soak down the the sacrifice and the trench that was dug around it completely burned up everything. A chosen generation serving a loving God. Next thing I want to look at is uh, a holy nation. You know, um, as I said, God chose us, God chose Israel And us, because he loved us. He called us a holy nation. We have been set apart exclusively by God. Our citizenship is in heaven. So we live by and obey heaven's laws and seek God and seek to please the Lord through that. Jesus said, If ye love me, keep my commandments. John 14, verse 15. A holy nation. We are the people of God. You know, before before Christ, in our life, we are under the power and rule of Satan, and that's what God called us out of—a heavenly citizenship, citizenship, or citizens of a of a holy nation. But then, after God's, after we accept God's offer, that gift, we are part of God's people and. Part of that holy nation that He calls us. So we have we've been called out of darkness into His marvelous light that we should then show forth His praises. Now, thinking a little more on that, as you go back to think back to the time in well, even in in Acts when the church was struggling with, with that. Do we keep these Old Testament laws and practices? or has that been replaced with grace and if you know a little bit about the, the Old Testament laws there was a lot of a lot of laws a lot of overbearing a lot of impossible things to keep and yet that was required and so when you think of the the light if you will that comes on in your mind no I don't have to keep that sacrifice. I don't have to live under the law. Jesus is the perfect sacrifice. Jesus is the one sacrifice replacing all of the previous ones. Think about the deliverance from darkness into his marvelous light as we think about that. And then he closes there in the last couple of verses. Again, verse, verse 11 and 12 Dear Beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims. Thinking again of them living, they're scattered. They're, they're in all these nations that he mentioned in the first chapter. They are now strangers. They are living in a culture that doesn't accept them well. Uh, according to what it looks like here in chapter 1, they were being persecuted for their faith. They were not... Uh, accepted by society. He reminds them of that. They're strangers and pilgrims. They're passing through. They're citizens of this heavenly nation. This is just temporary. Abstain from <clears throat> excuse me from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. Again, Satan being very active and aggressive in this way putting on pressure from the outside as in the fiery trial that Peter makes reference to they were being tempted from the outside also he makes reference of the having an honest conversation among the Gentiles better translation might just be the unbelievers that were living around them those who were not uh, accepting them those who were not embracing them and uh, to live an honest life in in during that time, and that while you 're living honestly, that they may even though they speak of you as an evil doer, they may see your good works, and that last couple of that last phrase here in verse twelve, glorify God in the day of visitation. so we can see that uh, certainly this really would have been a um, as it were a, a light coming on in your mind realizing that they truly can be part of this um this um delivered out of this darkness and into his marvelous light and and i guess that's my prayer for us as well that we too could again have a uh, a renewed vision of this the uh the darkness that we've been delivered to, and the and the marvelous light that we can, uh, that we can live in, even today. Let's stand as we pray, and then Ring standing for prayer. I'll ask Ken to lead us in a song. Shall we pray? We thank you, Lord, for this this uh, gift that you have given us. Thank you for delivering us out of this darkness and into your marvelous light. Thank you, especially for the the enduring word that you have given us. The enduring word starting way back when you have given the law to Moses and even down through the ages have given us the plan of salvation through Jesus Christ. And thank you too for this blessing in our lives. Father, we realize too that we're also in a building project. We are building together. We are building a a uh, holy tabernacle here on this earth looking for a heavenly kingdom, looking for residence in an eternal kingdom. Thank you too for choosing us. Father, you have called us out of this darkness. You have chosen us in this generation. You have chosen us because of your love and your grace for us. We realize that your grace, your mercy truly is enduring. Even like in the days of Noah, you have given 120 years of mercy and grace, and thank you too for your grace on us as well. We pray you would help us to continue to be on guard as we live in this world, that we too could live in a way that we could be, a, uh, that we could be a, live honestly among the, those that are around us, and that in the end, they too could give honor and glory to you.